0: Now, I've been to a lot of funerals. I've never been to one like this. I come to the funeral and I'm grieving and I'm mourning the loss of somebody that I love who has died or somebody that I know who has died and I go home and that dead person is walking home with me? What? What is going on here? I'll tell you what's going on. At this funeral, there's one there for whom nothing is impossible. At this funeral stands one who overturns death and the grave. At this funeral turns one. There's one that's standing there that's like no one else. That's what makes this funeral different than any other funeral. Jesus is there. And John has been super clear about why he writes these things down for us to read. You've got to believe in this Jesus. You've got to believe. Like this is the seventh sign that John has written about. Okay, and it's like at this point he's saying, guys, there's what else do you want me to say? Here's a guy who raises dead men to life. You've got to believe in him. This life that he's given to Lazarus, that's the life that God wants to give to you. And the way that you access that life is through belief in Jesus. You've got to believe in him. Believe in him. Some of you I know are staring right now into the face of your own Lazarus moments. It might not be death, but it's something That's significant to you. A trial that's significant to you. A challenge that's significant to you. Maybe it's a prolonged season of waiting. God's given you a good desire. A God-given desire, a longing in your heart, and it just goes unmet. And it's been a long time. Some are dealing with relationships that right now seem irreparable. People that you have loved and have lived with are gone and you don't quite know how to make sense of it. Some are dealing with illness. Some are dealing with loneliness. Some are dealing with depression. Some are dealing with financial stress. John is trying to communicate to us that there is a Jesus for whom nothing is impossible. I don't know what each and every one of us is facing, but I do know this. Whatever that challenge is, it's not insurmountable for Jesus. And he wants to enter, he is entering into that situation with you. And there are things in this text, it's not just about Lazarus. It's about you. Jesus wants to talk to you this morning. So what I'd like to do is look at the ways that Jesus acts in this story. See, what Jesus is here doing is he's eliciting your trust. His character, who he is, how he acts, what he says, the way that Jesus is behaving here is all aimed at eliciting your trust. He wants you to trust him. And so I want to look at the ways that Jesus is acting, the way that he's behaving, the way that his character is being displayed so that you might trust him afresh. This morning. There's four, four ways, I think at least, that we see here that Jesus acts to elicit our trust. To help us to believe in him. To follow him. To live our lives for him. To see that he's like no other. There's no one like him. He's the one for whom nothing is impossible. Not even death. Okay, so... The first is the fact that he's present. Jesus is present. Let's not miss the obvious. Verse 38 says that Jesus came to the tomb. These were people that he loved and people who were hurting. And Jesus was present with them. Being present at times of death is not easy. In fact, a lot of us try to avoid that, right? If we're honest, it's uncomfortable. We don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. We don't want to say anything stupid. We don't want to make the pain seem worse. Like, it's just uncomfortable and sometimes awkward, and so it's easier at times just to stay away. When my father died, a couple of years ago, what I remember most is the people who were present. I don't remember everything they said. I don't know what they did. But I know the people who were with us. They were there. They were present. They cried with us. They laughed with us. They ate with us. They drank with us. They were just there. Nobody does that better than Jesus. Nobody. Jesus does not promise you an easy life, but here is what he does promise you. I will never leave you or forsake you. This text shows that in in a regular disciple's life, suffering and trial are part of life. God does not shield us from trial. God allows trial in our lives. But God says, I will never allow you to be alone in that trial. I'll be present with you. Sometimes, and especially in times of grief and sorrow, things get real blurry. Without these glasses, I can see bodies out there, but I can't see your eyeballs. You don't want me driving your car right now. <laughs> there are situations and circumstances of life that cause us to get blurred vision. And when you have blurred vision, there are questions and thoughts in your mind that at times were crystal clear. Is God real? Am I even a Christian? Is God punishing me right now for my sins? Are the situations that I'm walking through right now, is God making me squirm? Has He abandoned me right now because He wants to teach me a lesson? Where are you? You need John 11. John 11 says to you, Jesus hasn't gone anywhere. He is present with you. You can claim with the psalmist, God is my refuge and my strength, a very present help in trouble. Even if the mountains quake, even if they fall into the heart of the sea, I won't fear Because the Lord of hosts, he's with me. The God of Jacob is my refuge. He's my shelter. He's my fortress. He is present. Some of you need to remember that Jesus is with you. He hasn't abandoned you. He's not punishing you. He's not forsaking you. Jesus is right there by your side. And notice that he's not just there. John says that he's deeply moved again. Jesus is emotionally invested in the moment with you. Jesus, and Kenny touched on this last week, Jesus is feeling things that we don't even comprehend. Jesus is perceiving things that we don't even understand. Jesus is emotionally reacting to things that are so much greater than our own comprehension. But know this, Jesus is feeling along with you all that you're feeling. That is incredible. That's what the book of Hebrews means when it says we have a sympathetic high priest. That word sympathy means he feels along with you. Do you feel joy right now? Jesus feels that joy. Are you hurting right now? Jesus feels hurt along with you. Are you stressed? Jesus is stressed with you. Are you in pain? Are you ha- Do you have desires that are unmet? Do you have ambitions and desires and longings? Jesus knows and feels all of that right along with us. He's with us and he's emotionally invested in the moment with us. But that's not all. It's not that he's just there observing what's going on, but not really willing to act. Jesus is there with all of his divine power to take that situation, even trial situations in our lives, to shape them and to mold them and to display his great love and his faithfulness and his character to you even as he shapes you and changes you through that difficult situation. He's there not just to feel with you. He's not just a sentimental Jesus. He's there with all of his power to rescue you. I'm reading right now the book by Marcus Luttrell. Marcus Luttrell was one of the four Navy SEALs that went into Afghanistan on a special mission. He's the only one that came out alive. You probably have seen the movie, maybe. It's not for young kids, so disclaimer. Lone survival. But in the book, he talks about having been through this traumatic battle experience and then Surviving that and being taken in by some Afghani village people, he's he's there recovering and he describes the moment when the army ranger and Green Beret team come to get him. He said, the ranger came running to me and grabbed me in his arms and I could smell his sweat and his combat gear and his rifle, the smells of home. It was so good to hear the English language again, not not just the everyday words, but even the diverse American accents, the familiarity of hearing my tongue. I'm telling you that when you've been in a hostile, foreign environment for a while with no one to whom you can explain anything, being rescued by your own kind, tough, confident, Organized guys, professional, hard-trained, armed to the teeth, ready for anything, bursting with friendship. Well, I tell you, it is the feeling of highest possible elation. Some of you might feel like you're in foreign, hostile territory. Life is challenging. Can I tell you what? Jesus enters into that with you just like these men. He's not just there to observe. He's there feeling along with you. But he's not just sentimental. He's there with all his ability to take you and to deliver you from that moment and to cause that very pain to produce good in your life. That's who our Jesus is. And in this moment, he's asking, will you trust me? Will you trust me? His presence is meant to elicit our trust. So that's the first way that Jesus is here acting to elicit our trust. What's another way? He's present, but he's also purposeful. Jesus is purposeful. From the start of this whole situation, Jesus knows that the glory of God is the reason why this is happening. That's the purpose for all of this. Look back in your Bibles at John 4. John chapter 11, verse 4. When Jesus heard of it, meaning the, the, the illness of Lazarus, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. That's the purpose of this whole story. God being glorified in Jesus the Son who's going to do what no one else can do. And Jesus never loses sight of that purpose. He always has that purpose in view. Jesus lived with the glory of God as his number one priority. He saw everything in that way. Everything is an opportunity for God to be glorified in the way that he acts through me, the Son, to display who I am to the nations. I can relate more, though, with Martha. Martha's perspective is a lot more earthy, right? after Jesus says, roll away the stone, she's like, uh-uh. Whatever you're about to do, Jesus, keep that stone where it is, please. Like, I'm already hurting. I'm already suffering. I'm already in pain. I got all these people here. You roll that stone away, it's gonna stink. I'll be embarrassed. Please, Jesus, whatever you're gonna do, just leave that stone where it is. Can't she relate to Martha? She's got a mixed Faith, she believes in Jesus, but she wants Jesus to work in the ways that she wants him to work. Don't you? That's how I want him to work. But the problem is, is we don't get to choose the way that God decides to glorify himself in our lives. It's not like Jesus sits the family down and says, okay, uh, Martha, Mary, Lazarus, I'm about to do something and here are your options. All three of you, you included Lazarus, you guys will live a real long life, no tragedy, and I'll kind of work in more subtle ways. You'll barely know I'm even there. Or I'll allow Lazarus to get sick with an illness that's going to take his life And when everything seems completely hopeless, when there's nothing that anymore anybody can do, I'm going to come and I'm going to blow your minds and show you the power and the glory and the weightiness of the living God. What do you want to happen? He doesn't ask them that. And I'm glad he doesn't ask me that and you that because I'll bet that if we knew the pain that it was going to take to truly know the living God, we wouldn't want it. You can keep that. I kind of just want to live an easy life. See, I'm not like Jesus in this way. I don't always have the glory of God as my number one purpose for living. Why? Because my number one purpose, purpose for living oftentimes is my comfort and my ease. I think you can relate. I want life to be easy. I want life to be smooth. I want peace. I don't want conflict. I definitely don't want trial. Jesus is not like us in this way. In fact, he knows. He knows that the raising of Lazarus is going to get him killed. That's exactly what happens next. After he raises Lazarus, the Jews start start plotting his execution. Jesus knows that. If he were living for his own comfort, he would have left Lazarus right in the tomb. But Jesus has God's glory as the number one priority. He knows that he's eventually going to come to his own tomb. He is going to, in a short while, go to the cross. And on that cross, he's going to suffer the excruciating death that God's justice demands. Jesus is going to take your sin and your shame and my sin and my shame upon himself on that cross. And he's going to suffer the just wrath of God. Then he's going to be buried in his own tomb. And in three days, he's going to burst out of that. And the glory of God is going to be displayed most in this world by the risen Savior who takes everyone who believes in him and raises them to new life again. That's where the glory of God is most revealed. Jesus knows that and that's what he's living for. Lazarus' resurrection is pointing forth to that resurrection. And that resurrection glorifies God like nothing else in all of eternity. See, I wish so often for myself, and especially for all of you who are suffering right now, that life were different. I do. I wish that God could get his work done in more subtle ways. In more peaceful ways. In non Tumultuous ways. But wish all I want, that is not the world that we live in. And our faith teaches us that we trust in a God who does allow pain, who even allows the cruel death of his son, but through that death, he brings forth new life. He causes beauty to come from ashes. He gives us joy in place of our sorrows. God is the God who teaches us to trust him that when all seems hopeless, it's not hopeless because he's living and he's active and he's doing something in our situations that's going to blow our minds. I don't want cancer. I don't want infertility. I don't want suicide. I don't want broken relationships. I don't want loneliness. I don't want miscarriages. I don't want panic attacks. I don't want death. I don't want these things for me, and I don't want these things for you. But if these things are going to allow us to see the weightiness and the reality of the living God, then I say, Lord, do your work. Because far more tragic for you would be for you to coast through life and never once experience your need for Jesus. Far more tragic would be that we live lives addicted to and amused by video games and Netflix and NFL football, but we never once experience the weightiness and the glory and the majesty of the living God and worship him and cry out to him to be saved. That would be tragic. You see, if you are in Christ, if you're a Christian, if you're you're a follower of Jesus, he still has not lost sight of this purpose. Jesus is still intent in glorifying God in your life. He hasn't lost track of that. That's what he's at work doing. And just like Martha, just like Mary, we might not fully comprehend it. In fact, I'm sure we don't. We might want things to work out differently. But Jesus is saying, just like He said to Martha, will you trust me? Will you believe me? I'm going to do something here, and eventually you're going to see my glory. Trust me. Will you trust Him this morning? Jesus is present, Jesus is purposeful. Thirdly, Jesus is praying. Jesus is praying. Remember, he's doing all of these things to elicit your trust. Here, he's praying in verse 41. After taking away the tomb, he prays to God. This is for two reasons. First, it's to show that he hasn't gone rogue. Remember, the context here is among the Jews. And Jesus is intent all throughout his ministry to say, I've not gone rogue like the Jewish monotheism that we all believe in. I'm not like separate from that. The Father and I are one. And I'm praying to indicate to you that what I'm about to do, I do under the authority and in the power of God. That's the first reason. But secondly, look how he prays. He's praying so that the people who are present don't miss it. They could see the resurrection of Lazarus and completely miss it, and we're going to look at how some of them do. He's praying. Jesus, the Son of God, is praying that the people who are there would actually see the sign for what it is and the indication that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, they would have life in his name. He's praying for them. And this isn't the first time. He's praying this. Apparently, he's been talking about God, talking with God about this all along. Look at what the text says. He thanks God that you have heard me. That's past tense language. So over these days and the unfolding of the situation, Jesus has already been talking to God about this. He's been praying to God, God... You know what's about to happen here. You know the grief that these people are going to go through. You know my own pain that I'm going to experience. You know how this points forward to my resurrection. You know all that you're doing in this situation. Would you please let them see it? Would you please accomplish your purpose? Would you please help them? Would you please go before us? Jesus is praying. Even before this happens, he's praying and praying and praying. Do you ever think about what Jesus is doing in heaven right now? The Bible actually tells us. The Bible says that he constantly lives to make intercession for you, for his people. Right now, Jesus, one of the things Jesus is doing in heaven is praying for you. And I bet he's praying, especially for any that are experiencing severe trial like these people are. He's praying. That's what it means that Jesus is our high priest. What a high priest does is he takes the heart of God's people, all that burdens us, all that causes us stress, all that causes us anxiety, all that, all that excites us, all that thrills us. He takes the heart of God's people and he brings that to the Father. This is what they're going through. This is what they're experiencing. This is what they're feeling. God, help them. Be with them. But that's not all. He takes the heart of God and he prays it for his people. God, you know how much we love them. You know what we've done to save them. You know how weak they are, how tested and tried they are. Would you help them? Would you be with them? Would you draw near to them? Would you strengthen them? Would you bring them through this? Jesus right now is in heaven praying for you. Jesus knows that faith at times is really hard. And so, he's praying for you. Some of the most encouraging texts or emails that I get are from people who let me know, hey, God put you on my heart and I'm praying for you. I love that. They're so encouraging. Why? Because it lets me know that this person took the time out of their busy life to consider me. They, they see me, they know me, they love me, they would take time to pray for me and it indicates that the spirit of God in them also cares about me. That's what prompted that person to pray. What if you got up tomorrow morning and waiting on your phone was a text from Jesus? Good morning. Just want you to know as you start your day, I'm praying for you. I love you. Have a great day. Friends, you don't need a text message. You don't need a text message from Jesus. You don't need to wait for the audible voice of Jesus. That's what this says to you. Jesus is considering you. Jesus is, he he has you on his mind and in his heart. He has you before the Father. Whatever you're going through, joy or sorrow, Jesus is right now in heaven interceding for you that he would keep you and bring you through this world so that you would experience his presence forever unending. Will you trust him? Jesus is praying that you would believe and trust him. Will you trust him this morning? Jesus is present. He's purposeful. He's praying. And lastly, he's got a plan. Jesus has a plan. After praying, Jesus literally shouts, Lazarus, come out. And probably like every preacher who's ever preached this text has said, it's a good thing that Jesus called Lazarus by his name. Because otherwise everyone would have been coming out. Now let's try to let the weight of this sit on us for a moment. That's what the glory of the word glory in the Bible, it captures a picture of like weightiness. Like when you see something that strikes awe and wonder and amazement and like whoa. That's what this is meant to make us do. But here's the problem. We don't really do that well. But if I were to say something like, imagine you're watching Stranger Things, you Stranger Things fans, and I were to say to you that the Demogorgon is outside and he's on the way to see you. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. But if you do watch Stranger Things, you know that that beast and the thing that it represents, like it's awe-inspiring. Like it's like there is an alien power waiting for me outside and I, I just feel my smallness right now. I don't know what that thing is, but I know it can do things that I can't do and there's nothing I can do about it. There's a weightiness to that. The problem is we are so filled with those types of emotions and here's the thing, that's fake. We turn that off and we go about our normal lives. You will not turn Jesus off. He's not fake. He's real. And Jesus says that there's a day coming. John told us about this already. Jesus said there's a day coming when all who are in the tombs are going to hear the voice of the Son of God and they're going to come out. Some of us are going to come before him and experience the resurrection of life. Some of us are going to come before him and experience the resurrection of judgment. That is real. And the weight of God is going to settle on us in that moment. And we're not going to be able to shut him off like a Netflix documentary. So this text wants to get you ready for that moment. And Jesus' plan is to restore you. I don't know how you think about that, but the resurrection of life is what we see here. And I can imagine Jesus thinking, just before he does this, I can imagine him thinking, I can't wait for them to see this. I can't wait for Martha and Mary to see what I'm about to do. John tells us that the holidays are coming. And I don't know, But maybe Martha and Mary are already leaping ahead. This is going to be the first Passover that I'm not going to have my brother Lazarus. Have you ever lost somebody? The holidays are rough. Jesus knows that at that Passover, Lazarus is going to be sitting at the table. Lazarus is going to be celebrating the Passover with them. The person who's dead in the tomb lights out is going to be sitting feasting in just a couple of days from now. And I'm assuming he's like, I can't wait till they see this. See, Jesus has a plan for us. Jesus, this story is so much bigger than Lazarus. This story is about the whole Bible. This story is about the time in Genesis 3 when God's judgment and his curse came into the world. He said, Adam, if you eat of this tree, what? You're going to die. The consequence for sin is death. So ever since Genesis 3, this world has been the way it should not be. This world is a pain of trouble. This world is is a, a world of pain. This world is a world of loss of sin, of temptation, of trial, of challenge. That's not the world that God created to be. And so what's God going to do about it? He's going to make a new one. He's going to recreate this world. God's plan is to restore all things. That's what this story is about. That's why we read in Revelation 21... That when all is said and done, God creates a new heaven and a new earth, and He'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. That's the plan of God. That's what's happening right here. God is restoring through Jesus, He's creating a whole new reality. He's, made, he's completely turning death and the reality of Martha and Mary on its head. He's bringing forth a new reality. You see, just like Mary and Martha, all who trust in Jesus, we get it all back. We get back the relationships with loved ones that have died before us in Christ. We get back the joys and the the beauties of this world, but we get this world back in unimaginable ways, like ways that would blow our minds. What we are in for as Christians, we can't even take it all in right now, but it's going to be good. That's the world that Jesus is at work creating. He is going to reverse the irreversibility of death. And he's already done that in some of you. You have more. If you are a Christian this morning, you have more in common with Lazarus than you know. Because the Bible is crystal clear. When we are apart from Christ, we are in the tomb of our sin. We're dead. We might be walking around, humanly speaking, but spiritually speaking, we are dead in the tomb, stone against it, lights out, no hope. But something happened in your life if you're a follower of Christ. Something happened. He said, Joe, come out. He said, Gary, come out. He said, Tom, come out. He said, Kat, Jen, Herb, Andy, Jim, come out. And you came out of your tomb. You came out of your sin. You came out of your shame. You came out of the the surety of death and he brought you into new life and what he has planned for you will blow your mind because when you're experiencing his eternal life that you taste now but will experience forever in heaven, you will be on your knees worshiping the one who called your name. He's already begun his recreating work in every true follower of Christ. Praise him. Let me have the band return. You see, this story is so much more than just about Lazarus. It's about us. Jesus is working to elicit our trust this morning. He's working so that the the life that he came to offer us, we would experience it more really right now, even though it's an eternal life that we'll experience in its fullness then and trusting him through all of life is the way that we experience his life his resurrection life here and now if you've have kids or you've been around kids you you know this game right got something but you're going to need to give me that first i have something good But in order for you to get this, you got to give me that. I wonder if Jesus is calling to some of you this morning and say, can I have that, please? Maybe it's a trial that you're really having a hard time trusting him for. I can't understand a good God that would let something so painful into my life. Can I have that, please? Maybe it's a relationship of some sort. Maybe it's a dream or an aspiration or a desire. And Jesus is saying, can I have that, please? Maybe it's your life. Maybe you are not a Christian, but you've been coming and you've been hearing about Jesus and and you're seeing him for who he is and you're just saying, I don't know. Jesus is saying, can I have your life, please? Will you surrender that to me? Because I have something for you. I have myself to give to you. And if you experience me, you will be changed forever. Can I have that? And in exchange, I'm going to do something that eventually you're going to see is going to blow your mind. Church, this morning, will you trust in a good God who means to display his glory and your good in this life? Will you trust him this morning? God help us. Let's sing.